Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, I am so thrilled and excited and honored to have uh, a young man who is one of my heroes, Soul Christopher Eubanks, in the house here on Unchained TV. He is doing extraordinary work. Uh, Soul, tell us about your organization and your mission and your passion. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today. And, uh, one thing I would like to say is congratulations to launching this platform. This is amazing. Once I saw it pop up on YouTube, I was like, oh, I have to subscribe. So I downloaded the uh, Unchained TV app on my YouTube. So it's like I can watch it with YouTube. And well, I downloaded it on my Fire Stick. So yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome that this platform exists. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, and you're talking about our streaming network, Unchained TV. And just to tell our viewers and listeners, Unchained TV is a free streaming network. You just put in Unchained TV, one word on your iPhone or your Android phone, or if you have an Amazon Fire Stick, as uh, Soul mentioned, or Apple TV device, or if you have an LG or Samsung Smart TV, you just put Unchained TV in there and you will have your own free, 100% free streaming network about animals, people, the planet. Let's save us all. Take it away, soul. Absolutely. And she didn't pay me to talk about that. I promise you all. That was just organic and natural. She didn't know I was going to mention that. But yeah, congratulations. And um, but yeah, ultimately, I became vegan after watching the conspiracy, seeing the exploitation of animals and the abuse of animals and realizing that I contributed to it on such a massive scale throughout my whole life. So I began doing activism and organizing in my community. And a lot of times I did discover that there wasn't a lot of diversity or as much as I would have liked at these events. So I started doing activism and saw that there was a need to connect the animal rights movement with other uh, groups of people. I, I tended to see a lot of the same type of people at animal rights events, and it didn't cross over into what I feel is the global majority of the population of the world. So um, I started to speak out of, uh, about this and be a little bit more vocal about it. And this sort of led me to develop my own animal rights organization called Apex Advocacy. So Apex stands for Animal Protection, Equality, Intersectionality. And we cover a lot of diverse ideas, concepts. We have the approach of you know, making this space for everyone, but it is led by the people of the global majority. So a lot of the content that we create discusses things that are related to animal rights from a lens of people of color. So we do that with a lot of content and a lot of think pieces, but now we're also shifting into taking on animal agriculture and communities that's marginalized where a lot of animal agriculture fights get overlooked. So we wanna use our platform, our resources as a tool to help people in these communities that have these fights with animal agriculture 
to stand up to animal agriculture. So those are the two things we're focused on right now, creating amazing content, uh, launching bold initiatives like Black Vegan Everything, where we showcase a variety of Black-owned vegan businesses and organizations, and creating pressure campaigns against animal agriculture in uh, marginalized and Black and brown communities. Well, I just want you to know that I am so impressed with what you're doing. Uh, we found out that you have applied for nonprofit status and that you're waiting for all that paperwork to go through. And as someone who has formed my own nonprofit and knows how much work and expense goes into it, we at Jane Unchained News Network, which is the name of the nonprofit that runs Unchained TV, would like to give you a $500 grant to help you complete the process and achieve everything that you need to achieve because you have an incredible vision. So just know that we're there to support you and uh, see you through to the finish line. And uh, we just think the work you're doing is amazing. Wow, thanks so much. I did not expect that. <laughs> that is amazing to hear. Thank you so much for that support. It is definitely uh, very much appreciated and needed. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So tell me a little bit about intersectionality because it's a tricky subject in our society we have so demonized animals think about it when you insult somebody i certainly don't use this terminology but people say this one's a pig or they use animals the the names of animals in the form of insults so we literally demonize animal species so when we try to show the intersectionality of oppression, sometimes we get blowback in the form of how dare you compare me to an animal? I myself have experienced that where I've tried to show the intersectionality between feminism, for example, and animal exploitation. It is the violation of the sacred feminine. On factory farms, no animals are making love they are all raped into existence. There is an industry term called the rape rack. But I will tell you that when I spoke at a conference uh, several years ago and tried to make that connection with a group of women who were feminists and who were fighting specifically uh, sexual violation, I was uh, condemned and scolded and told, how dare you? It was a very uh, shocking learning experience because to me, um, I think it's a compliment to be compared to an innocent animal. Uh, sweet as a lamb, um, gentle as a lamb, but that was not how it was perceived. So that really kind of threw me back on my heels and I became very concerned about how to approach intersectionality. I think it's important, okay? When one of us is oppressed, all of us are oppressed. Uh, I certainly didn't come up with that saying. <laughs> How do you navigate that treacherous terrain? You know, one of the things that I do is that I personally don't compare the oppressions. One of the things that I do is focus on the systems in place that oppress multiple groups of individuals. So you sometimes people may make the comparison and try to say, you know, these animals are being exploited just like such and such. And that's something I particularly don't do. What I say is that these systems that oppress 
all of us are put in place and they are oppressing us in the same way. The same structures that oppress non-human animals are in place to oppress human animals. And I think that's very important to be aware of how people may perceive what we are saying. I think it can come down to a very nuanced detail. And if we aren't aware of how people are perceiving what we are saying, then it could just go in one ear out the other. I know a lot of times when we compare different oppressions, we are very right within within doing so technically by the language that we use. You know, some people refer to the animal holocaust, all of these things that we that sometimes people say that are right by definition, but we also have to understand that when we speak to people, are we trying to be effective or are we trying to trigger them and just get a response out of them and you know shock them? We don't have to do that to get our point across. What's happening to non-human animals is so vile that I think sometimes using language that compares you know, the oppression of non-human animals with the oppression of human animals can be taken negatively if you don't know the person, if the person is uh, sensitive to certain language, we just have to be aware that when we say these things, how they could come across. But like I said, I think the exploitation and the abuse that happens to non-human animals is so vile that we don't really have to compare it to other oppressions. We can talk about what is happening. We can say that these animals are sexually abused, sexually exploited, uh, exploited, they're stripped of their bodily autonomy. We can say all of these things and people can still get the point without having to say a word that may trigger them. You know, like I, as a man, probably wouldn't have a conversation where I say these animals are raped to a woman because I honestly genuinely don't know how that could be perceived. But I would still explain what is happening in a, a very detailed manner and hope that they can understand and that I could convey these messages. So we just have to be aware of the way people can perceive the things that we say. And like I said, also, I focus on these systems of oppression that oppress tons of groups of individuals without necessarily having to compare the oppression to the other group, well, one group wow. to another. So well said, I've learned from you how to approach it. Thank you so much. Soul, we've got some callers. Sarah from Atlanta on hold. Your question or thought for Soul, Sarah. Hey, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be able to talk to you today. Um, I don't know if you remember, but when I was in Atlanta, we had the Animal Rights March and you spoke, and I feel like that was a really big pinnacle point in your activism. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing I wanted to ask you is, how did you make the connection did you grow up in like a food desert area where you didn't have a, you know, access to healthy food or did you make the connection through animals? Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And that march was very key to just me in terms of uh, growing my activism. But um, yeah, thank you for attending that. But yeah, I think what happened is, like I said earlier, I became vegan after watching Cowspiracy. And one of the things that kind of hit me like a light bulb was just the fact that I was contributing to the exploitation of animals. Meanwhile, I was really angry at society for the way that 
people of color had been exploited and abused throughout my life. And I felt sort of like a hypocrite knowing that I was doing the same thing to another group of individuals that I was condemning another group of individuals for. So once I made that connection, I really said that, you know what, I really have to speak out about this because not only is this form of discrimination something that I've been contributing to my entire life, it's also something that I think most people don't even think about because I ate animal bodies, ate their body parts and secretions without giving it a thought. And I know that if I had the purest of intentions as a person to live in a society and do well to others and cause no harm, but I was still contributing to the massive exploitation and abuse of billions of individuals, trillions of individuals throughout my whole life, I know that others were in that same situation. There's tons of people that think nothing of contributing to the abuse of animals because it's something that isn't brought to their attention. So once it was brought to my attention and I made those connections, I said from that point on, I would speak out about animal agriculture and the oppression of animals and the exploitation of animals um, as a way of life. All right, we've got another caller, Paige Parsons Roach. Your question or thought for Soul. Thank you so much. Hi, Soul. I wanted to uh, ask you, hello. I want to ask you, what do you find is the most effective activism in your your world or uh, in your opinion? Thank you so much. Thank you for calling. Uh, So good to hear your voice. Ooh, the most effective activism, honestly, is the activism that is the most sustainable and effective for the activists. So I know a lot of times in our community, some people are super focused on numbers and results and seeing how much information we can get from this person or turning this person vegan or, you know, quantitative results and trying to figure out if we show this documentary to this person, will they go vegan? How many conversations do we have to have? How many vigils do we have to attend? And those things are great. We need all of those things. But what I feel is the most effective is it comes down to the activists themselves. If I can go to vegan outreach on a regular basis and it doesn't harm my spirit, then I will probably be better at vegan outreach than, than I would doing something vigil where it would be so, it wouldn't be effective for me be able to consistently if it hurts my spirit as opposed to going to vegan outreach. So I think it's a combination of do like press. I like and working toward so I would say somewhere in between there. Hmm. Wow. We are talking to Soul Hugh Banks. He is the founder of Apex, a new animal rights organization that talks about intersectionality and seeks to end all oppression, which really is just creating a very big tent. And I just love coming at it from that angle. How did you get the idea to form this organization, which is rather unique. I think we're seeing an evolution where people, 
yeah, uh, we're seeing an evolution where people are where people are um, saying the animal rights movement is not just about animals. Okay, it's about, for for example, health. It's about climate change. But now we're adding another piece. It's about liberation of all sentient beings from oppression, from discrimination, finding a commonality. As the film Earthlings so eloquently says, we're all Earthlings. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the animal rights movement deserves to place animals at the center. This is the animal rights movement. They should always be at the focus of the movement. What makes the animal rights movement so unique is that it is the movement that is not led by the oppressed individuals. So we don't have pigs that can speak up for themselves against humans. We don't have cows that can speak up for themselves against humans. So as humans that are doing the work to liberate others, we have to understand how the things that impact us impact the movement. So that's why it's very important for us to not be uh, ignorant to these dynamics that we have within our uh, human, uh, you know, within our humanity, you know, the history of slavery, the Black Lives Matter movement, what's going on with the uh, Asian community right now. We have to be aware of how all of these things impact us and impact the movement. So yes, we definitely have to make sure that the animals remain at the forefront, but we can't ignore these other things also in our movement. All right, we're gonna take a very short break here on Voice America Radio. We're gonna stay live on Facebook with Soul Hubanks. Thank you so much, Soul. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to janeunchainednews at gmail.com. Now back to the show. 
We are talking to Sol Hubex, the founder of Apex, a brand new animal rights organization that talks about intersectionality and ending all oppression, creating a huge tent so that all beings, human and non-human, from every background imaginable can live in peace and harmony, true evolution at work. I don't know if I'm going to be alive for that, but I think the work that we are all doing, that you're doing, that people that are watching this and listening to this, we're moving towards that every day that we fight for a better society is a step closer to that type of society where oppression isn't normalized. So I see it as inspiration. I see it as inevitable also. I want to ask you a rather provocative question because you work with Encompass, which is an incredible organization. You're on the advisory board. And one of the things they look at is a racial equity within the animal rights movement and pointing out critique that um, there is still tremendous disparity. And then Tracy McWhorter has told me, and she is uh, an incredible African-American leader of vegan women and turning uh, African-American women vegan at a very fast rate, truly a mover and changer. Uh, she reports that the largest demographic of vegans in the United States is the African-American community. 8% approximately of African-Americans are plant-based and she says most of them are females. How do you reconcile those two? Absolutely. So I think one of the things that we have to look at is the thing that Encompass works for is specifically trying to provide racial equity within the animal protection movement, which is not the exact same as just veganism in general. So when we talk about our diets and our eating habits and uh, our consumption of animal products, that's different from the systems that are in place within the animal rights movement in terms of who have power, who has access, who gets funds, where do these funds come from, you know, who's in a position of power to track how effective things are, the systems that are in place, the, the power dynamic in the animal rights movement is typically not, well, the mainstream movement isn't from uh, people of color or people in black and brown communities. So we definitely have to make sure that we understand the difference between some people and their eating habits and what is happening within a social justice movement and who actually has power within that movement. A very good distinction in terms of organizations and their leadership and Encompass is calling for a re-examination, a dialogue that allows more uh, people of color to be in positions in animal rights organizations where they have a say, where they have power. Would that be a good um, summary of it? Yeah, absolutely. And also making sure that their voices are heard, that they that the initiatives that are put forth are from diverse mindsets. And just we, we don't also want people to be tokenized or people to just regurgitate the same things that have always been said. We need new people, new initiatives, new ideas, whether that means people starting new organizations, taking over old organizations, being in more positions of power. Um, yeah, pretty much kind of alluding to what you said. That's exactly what we need to start 
thinking uh, what we need to start thinking about. I've personally always thought that there is a tremendous power in your food choices and what you spend your money on with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there were protests and there were all sorts of initiatives. What if we took it one step further and incorporated the spending dollars on food? Imagine if it would be considered politically incorrect to go into a fast food restaurant and order a burger and a milkshake. If that was considered like co-signing one's own oppression, which it is which it is. Uh, we know that uh, fast food restaurants, which are basically meat, dairy concentration, are put specifically in communities of color in African-American communities. We know that that results in worse health outcomes for members of the African-American community. And yet so often people will go to a protest uh, demanding racial equity and then go eat of fast food afterwards, just like climate uh, marchers will go march uh, to save the climate and then they'll go eat a hamburger and uh, a, a shake, even though animal agriculture is a leading contributor to climate change. There is this huge disconnect. But I always say the power of money is perhaps the ultimate power. If we could harness those dollars and essentially do a, a meat boycott, which in fact has happened. We we actually did uh, many reports during the height of the COVID crisis when slaughterhouse workers were dying of COVID and uh, they are overwhelmingly uh, people of color and immigrants. And uh, in Iowa, certain union leaders went vegan to support the slaughterhouse workers. Uh, and they talked about the fact that the power of the purse. I know I'm making this a very long question, but my ultimate question is, imagine the power. If we could harness just, for example, the African-American community and say, don't eat fast food, you're supporting your own oppression. I think we would definitely have to make sure that if we are guiding anyone to change their habits or change their practices, that we are genuine about it, that we are doing it from a place of their best interest and that we definitely want to understand, uh, have a open dialogue with them about these types of things. And I think this, that type of conversation definitely has to be nuanced. And I think also, you know, if we, oftentimes when we tell people what to do, they may be less receptive. So I think we could have a open dialogue when we listen to these communities, when we talk to these communities. And one of the forms of communication that I like to do when having outreach is called the Socratic method, where I listen to people and I ask them questions based on the questions that they give me. And I think this type of open dialogue could go a long way. And yeah, absolutely right. If we are able to tell people in many communities of color, any marginalized communities that the systems that are put in place that are supporting these animal agriculture industries and companies are also some of the systems that are put in place to oppress you and is happening through animal agriculture. I think it'll be a lot easier to help people make that connection and help them understand, just like I understood that I don't want to support the oppression of others. 
and also support the train of thought that supports the oppression of me and my people. So I think having a very nuanced conversation about this and making sure that we have an open dialogue about it can be highly effective. All right, we've got another caller. Tom, your question or thought for Sol Hubanks. Oh, Tom. Hello. All right. Oh, there you go. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Thank you. My, my question was really reaching out to a younger generation, kids in school, for example. I believe that's where your future of veganism needs to be taught to. I live in Chicago. Uh, you mentioned food, for example. I can tell you for a fact, a lot of the south and west sides here are food deserts. So these kids don't have other options. Even you mentioned animal rights. Look at the fur industry. These animals die for a fur trim on a hood, which is so unnecessary. That's dying out. My question basically is reaching out to a younger generation, being taught that there are alternative ways and things like that, because that's where things need to go. Thank you so much for the work you're doing and all the great things you guys are doing, and you too have a great day. Thank you for taking my call, too. Thank you, Tom. Yes, very good point. It's easy for uh, people who don't live in food deserts to say, don't eat fast food, but if that's the only thing available in the community, uh, it's very hard to implement that. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we also can let people know of is that, you know, that there are other options also. So absolutely, yes. If you're in a place where there's not a lot of healthy food options or just uh, animal, non-animal product-based foods, there are things that you can do. There's things that I've done. I've been to food pantries. I've done a lot of things that are outside of the norm, been to free 99 fridges and things of that nature. So yeah, it may not be as accessible. Obviously, if you have more resources and more access, then you have the ability to have more options. But just because you are in more strict situations, it doesn't necessarily mean that your choices are as limited as you may think. I think you, we would be surprised sometimes if we, you know, are exposed to some of these things that we just didn't know about. Sometimes people don't know the options that they have just because they aren't informed about them and they just aren't normalized in our society. But it is absolutely crucial that we definitely understand that sometimes people you know, they may not have as much time and as much resources to look into a lot of these things. And most people, just like I was when I was growing up, I just ate what I ate just to survive. And I didn't think much more into it than, you know, I'm just going to eat this and go to this fast food restaurant or pick this food up because it's all I know. Once we start to expand that and give people more education and challenge these systems, then, you know, we'll put more We'll let them know about the options that they do have. A couple of other very important issues. Uh, people always cite their ethnicity or their race when they talk about why they can't go vegan. I've heard every single one. I'm Puerto Rican and Irish. I've heard Puerto Ricans say, I could never go vegan. I'm Puerto Rican. I could never go vegan. I'm Irish. I could never go vegan. I'm German. I could never. Well, if you really actually look back at the actual foods that one's ancestors ate from the home country, you often find it's plant-based because the majority of the world was plant-based. In um, the African, uh, in, in, uh, in Africa, my gosh, Ethiopian food, for example, we have a little Ethiopia here in Los Angeles that is extremely plant-based and there's a lot of vegan Ethiopian cuisine, vegan Ethiopian restaurants, and yet, that's something that I don't know that a lot of people who may have Ethiopian ancestry really identify with. How can we have a breakthrough on that? 
I think one of the things that we can do is, to your point, talk to people and tell them about these things. I've heard the same things that you heard. I've heard people tell me, oh, I'm Muslim or I'm uh, uh, Indian or whatever group they belong to is the reason that it's hard, it would be it will prevent them from going vegan. But what we often find, and I'm pretty sure you know this too, there's tons of resources about being vegan if you are from such group, if you are from said group. There's tons of people that are vegan Muslims, Asian vegans, uh, Black vegans, of all walks of life, all sizes, children's, uh, children, vegans, just the, the research is out there, the support is out there, but once again, it's not as normalized. But once we begin to help people make these connections and see these dots and give them the resources and the access to this knowledge, they'll, those forms of resistance, uh, they start to break down a little bit. And then you can really have a conversation about why people feel that they have to, why they have contributed to the exploitation of animals, you'll get to another layer of the conversation. Now it becomes, oh, well, if I can be Muslim and be vegan, you know, what uh, what other things are preventing me from being vegan? Or maybe it's, well, you know, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know the information. I don't know the resources. I don't know if I'll be healthy on a vegan diet. Then you can start to address more and more things. But the information is out there. I think there's no culture that I know of that says someone can't be vegan. I think in every culture, uh, for the most part, you'll be able to see that you can be vegan within that culture. It is not a, you know, you won't get outcasted from your culture for, uh, by being vegan. You can be your culture and vegan at the same time. Well, one of the things that I think is the biggest falsehood that is perpetrated is and it really dovetails with the whole idea of what is the animal rights vegan movement is that people who say, well, this is an elitist movement and vegan food is so expensive. And the truth is, that's a lie. Vegan food is not more expensive. You can get a sack of quinoa, a sack of brown rice and a sack of dried black beans and a big cabbage. And you can get that for under the price of a steak and you can live for a month on it. And yet this false narrative is pushed, particularly on marginalized communities who are struggling financially as don't even try it. It's expensive. What are your thoughts and how do we shatter that myth? Absolutely. So like you said, yeah, you can be vegan on a budget. There are so many ways to do it. I think one of the ways that we shattered that myth is through, like you said, the education of saying, hey, you've been eating vegan stuff all your life that's readily available and that is inexpensive. But I also think it comes down to, you know, you can have practically any diet or uh, any diet and it'd be the price that you make it. I mean, you can buy a lot of expensive vegan food or you can buy inexpensive vegan food. Um, same thing with animal products. Unfortunately, you can buy expensive animal products or you can buy inexpensive animal products. There, we have to let people know that these options exist. So by letting them know that, hey, there are 99 cent stores, Dollar Tree stores with vegan options. Uh, you can go to fast food places. You can go to Chipotle and all of these places, KFC, that have vegan options now, and they are in the same places that you've always been going to, your uh, 
your perception of veganism just wasn't through the food that they had. You weren't thinking about what their vegan options were. But once you start to think about consciously making that choice, you start to see the vegan options everywhere. You start to see them pop up more and more, the, the, the more that you are conscious and, and aware of it. So let me talk to you about the timeline. We are running out of time and <laughs> we're running out of time for climate change and for our break. In fact, we're going to take a break right now. <laughs> and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about how we're running out of time in terms of solving this problem. So stay right there on Voice America Radio. But we're still live on Facebook. Yeah, so when we come back, I would love to talk to you about Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are here with the extraordinary soul, Hugh Banks, uh, founder of Apex, a brand new animal rights organization. We're talking about the house of cards that is animal agriculture and how we are running out of time and how his focus on ending all oppression and really activating communities of color to fight their own oppression through fighting animal oppression uh, could be the game changer because animal agriculture is a house of cards. What's propping it up is 
government subsidies, us taxpayers being forced to spend tens of billions of dollars subsidizing the commodity crops that feed farmed animals and animal agriculture. And yet it is a house of cards because if consumers were simply to say no more fast food, it would be over. Okay, that's how most people consume meat is through fast food. And we know that fast food is targeted to communities of color in food deserts. So if we could somehow activate communities of color to say, no, we're not going to eat fast food, that could collapse the house of cards. But easy to say when you live in a food desert, not so easy. So we're going to the man of the hour, Sol Hubanks, to try to solve this conundrum. Sol. Yes, yeah, so so that is a very very large question, and I think honestly, I don't know if that's something that could be solved within the amount of time that we have. Unfortunately, because we're talking about not only changing people's diet, we're talking about changing culture. Culture typically takes time to change, and from global culture right now, unfortunately, ninety nine percent of the world's population consumes animals. And we're talking about changing that within enough time to meet these deadlines before there's irreversible change. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I'm not for sure. I would love for that to happen. I would love for us to be able to say, you know what, by 2026, we have 10% of the world, uh, 90% of the world is vegan. I don't know. I don't know if that will happen or not. But I do know that it takes a while to change culture. We got to keep attacking the systems and we have to, you know, try different approaches because if there was one thing that we could do, I think we would all just put our resources. If there was one proven thing that changed this situation and ended animal exploitation, we probably all do it, but there's hasn't been one finite solution yet that I know of. So I think we're still trying to figure out the approaches that we can use that are effective, that actually make people change. I think some people have theories, other people have other theories. And all we can do is honestly, at this moment, put our energy to what we feel is going to make the uh, the best change. And, you know, hopefully keep our fingers crossed these things work. Well, I also thought about it because reading about the work of Encompass, they reference the global majority is people of color, which Mm -hmm. really a lot of people don't even think about. Uh, Globally, people of color are the majority. And so whereas there's a system of oppression that benefits the oppressor, but the global majority is subsidizing it and keeping it alive. If we could make that apparent and then the global majority remove its support, that would collapse the system of oppression. I think that sounds incredible. I think that's one of those things that in theory, I would love for it to play out that way. But it's, you know, when people have power, when people are used to being in positions of power, they don't give up that power very easily. They fight tooth and nail, as we see animal agriculture is doing. You know, we see these issues where they are fighting against people being able to, well, companies being able to call products milk and plant-based meats being able to call them, sell, uh, call their products meat. So they're gonna fight back new, uh, tooth and nail at all the types of resistance that we put forth, whether it be 
hyper-focusing on communities of color to make these changes, these industries are going to fight back. They don't give up their power very easily, unfortunately. So I think that would be amazing if we were to really help you know, people of the global majority understand how the oppression of non-human animals is being perpetrated in our community and how you know we unfortunately are supporting them. But you know, it's not only people of the global majority. Um, you know, this is a world culture. Most of the world contributes to animal exploitation. So hypothetically, even if that were to happen, you know, we would still have other communities to have to make these types of changes too. It's such a massive problem that I don't know. I just don't think it's going to be one solution. I think it's going to take tons of solutions to address this problem. I agree with you. And we talk about tons of solutions. If I'm talking to a climate activist, I will bring up the hypocrisy of uh, climate activists supporting the animal agriculture industry. Uh, absolutely. And as I've mentioned, I've tried to talk to feminists about the hypocrisy of supporting the animal agriculture industry. Um, it is a multi-determined problem um, at, which requires multi-determined solutions. Absolutely. Uh, but I think you're in a very interesting position because you have a new animal rights organization that's taking a radically new approach. So you actually, I think, could be at that fulcrum where if you all you have the ability to let people know and sort of put on a new set of glasses. I mean, I'll use the analogy of cigarettes when uh, cigarettes in the United States, when I grew up, everybody smoked cigarettes. It was cool. If you want to be cool, mm -hmm. I'll never forget, you know, lighting my first cigarette, trying to be cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden it became uncool. And one of the specific ways it became uncool, unfortunately, mm -hmm. they exported their bad habit to other countries. You go to a foreign country, mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll see everybody smoking. But in the United States, it's not so cool to smoke anymore. Yeah. And there was a commercial called Smoking is Very Glamorous. And it was a woman who was a cancer mm -hmm. patient and she was smoking a cigarette mm -hmm. out of a hole in her neck. And it was I'll never forget it. I saw her. She's a craggly old woman. She's smoking a cigarette out of a hole in her neck. And the, the headline is Smoking is Very Glamorous. That one ad campaign did more to end smoking as being cool than anything because it pointed out the hypocrisy and the stupidity mm -hmm. and the self-destructiveness of smoking and, and how pathetic it is that even a cancer patient is so hooked mm -hmm. and so dependent and uh, so powerless over this addiction that even as they're dying and they have a hole in their neck, they're still smoking. I think there's something there that we could do as well to show people, to highlight you are supporting your own oppression. Kids are getting type two diabetes. Two thirds of kids are overweight or obese. They're trying to normalize um, illness in the mainstream media. They use dirty tricks to associate eating meat with family values, patriotism, upward mobility mm -hmm. um, for men, masculinity, for women, femininity. The bad guys are using all these tricks. Yeah. We got to use some tricks too, Saul. 
Oh, absolutely. We have to, you know, we, and like, like I was saying, we have to use a multitude of things and we have to realize that unfortunately change is slow. Like even before, I'm pretty sure before that commercial was able to be aired, um, there was probably, that commercial could have been thought of 10 years before that point actually came, but the companies in charge were banning that from happening. They probably stopped that from airing, the thought of that airing, you know, for a whole decade or so. So unfortunately that change, change sometimes just takes time, unfortunately. And I know we don't have the time to wait and be patient, but you know, we kind of have to work within the parameters of what we are able to do um, and what we need to get done and try to find a happy medium. So we have about four minutes left. What is the future for Apex? What are your plans? Absolutely. So the future of Apex, one of the things that we want to do is really take on animal animal agriculture in communities where they are really going unchecked. So we're working locally to get a backyard slaughterhouse uh, shut down that has been told by the county that they need to cease and desist our operations, but they haven't. And this has been going on for years. And one of the reasons this is going on for so long, there's no checks and balances. There's really nobody standing up to the county or trying to enforce this in this low income community. So we wanna find more situations where animal agriculture is just kind of bullying the communities and give these communities support, give them our team, help them with actions, help them plan pressure campaigns, um, you know, even help with legal services if we have to. We really wanna find these specific instances. And a lot of these situations are people that aren't vegan. These communities that are fighting these battles, like this one I'm talking about now, a lot of the people that are regular, everyday, normal neighborhood um, residents aren't vegan, aren't animal rights activists, but they're fighting against this slaughterhouse in their community. So we're building bridges with communities and people that typically aren't animal rights, typically aren't quote unquote um, animal lovers and helping them with resources that we can provide to them to fight against animal agriculture. So that's the full vision of what we wanna do. We wanna do more cases like this where we take on animal agriculture intentionally exploiting um, black and brown communities that are marginalized. Wow, that is incredible. And people don't even realize these wet markets. They point the finger at China. There's more than 100 wet markets in New York City alone. They're all over, they're here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And they're basically retail slaughterhouses and the blood literally spills out into the streets. I applaud you for doing that. And you're based in Atlanta. What are your other plans vis-a-vis Atlanta? Uh, So we're going to definitely continue our content uh, creation. But uh, in Atlanta, one of the things that I also want to do is start to begin to go to more events, talk to people about these things that are happening in the community, go to more pop-up events and leaflet and do more tabling at, you know, Veg Fest and all of these other types of uh, events to kind of get the word out about this. So we're definitely focused on creating pressure campaigns here and just getting out in the community building uh, communications and building bridges with other social justice groups to make ourselves more visible to them also. Now, um, 
Atlanta has become a huge media center. Obviously, CNN is headquartered there, but now they're shooting a lot of movies there. There are a lot of celebrities there and some uh, celebrities are vegan, but some other celebrities uh, are not. In fact, they own fast food restaurants. Have you um, thought about any campaigns to uh, show them the hypocrisy of saying you're helping the community, but you're running a fast food restaurant that's making people sick? Uh, you know, uh, honestly, not yet, not because it's not something that's important. Um, we're so focused on fighting animal agriculture on a mass scale in these particular cases that we haven't approached the uh, fast food industries per se, haven't approached individual people. We're really focused right now on how animal agriculture is getting away with a lot of injustices in these black and brown communities specifically. But that's definitely something that we're open to, especially in Atlanta. It's a lot of things that we can do to educate them. We can just simply reach out to some of these um, business owners and these personalities and let them know, hey, you know, you need more vegan options. This is why, this is why it's important and, and make that connection. But um, that's something that we haven't done yet. You know, we're just a small organization uh, with a couple of volunteers right now. So as much as I would love to take on so many things, I wanna stay hyper-focused on this first project. And then, you know, hopefully more people support and we can do more things. Again, we're going to give you a $500 grant to help you complete your nonprofit status. And we urge everybody to help out Apex. Uh, where can they go to learn more? You can definitely go to apexadvocacy.org. We have our website there. We have our content there. We have, um, we're updating our website. We're going to have more information about our activism and you know the mission statement behind our activism but you can definitely go to apexadvocacy.org and if you want to support us you can go to patreon.com slash soulubanks s-o-u-l-e-u-b-a-n-k-s uh, either one of those you can go to so Hubert, it was great talking to you for the hour i love your work carry on see you next thank time you. on tv Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.